0: So here's the problem as I see it, right? When you compare all that, there's a confusion in the creed, right? America's a people, but people say, oh, the creed is what's sacred, right? You get a book that has the propositions of the Constitution, the propositions of the Declaration of Independence, whatever. Oh, that's sacred. Well, no, hang on, that's, that's a proposition. That doesn't necessarily open you up to the context, like a symbol does, of the past. What would do it, right, is the actual original document has a sense of that it's imbued with something with a value, like the worn pages, the handwriting, that's kind of the sacred. Like, If that was used in a ceremony, it would be like the vestments of the sacred. And it very well may be that I don't know of, but I mean, these are museum pieces, right? For the things that have been retained. If it's, if it's put worn by someone, if it's taken around, it's a thing that's imbued with value. You look at it like a symbol and it will cast your mind back to the fast. And I've done that. When I've looked at the Declaration of Independence, the old, the, orig- the one in the handwriting with all the signatures, right? I'm not reading the propositions of what's going on. The thing that I see the sacredness in is in projecting me back to these, that time and what these men were going through, right? It's opening me up to their, wor- their world by looking at what it's symbolizing in terms of the age of the paper, the signatures, and the way they look. The way that look is of another time, right? It opens you up to that. That's what I'm talking about. Whereas there is a big confusion with that and the creed and the bits and pieces that are sacred. You go, oh, that's sacred. Okay, why? Does it generate sacredness? Because that's what sacred is. So the word is a problem too. If you just read it in, in the way it's presented, it's just a piece of paper. You go, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And people argue about the propositions, right? And what they mean in terms of what they're reflecting. The interpretation is constantly changing, right? So that's taking away its sacred, its the thing that generates the sacredness, right? Because this thing of argument, it's not a symbol that's just used and brought out that generates and people participate in when they turn up in the ceremony. What we could talk about is kind of, I know that people go to, I think they go to Washington or the original, um, where the Mayflower landed, and experience like actors act out, uh, like this guy's Benjamin Franklin and they sort of act out to give people an idea of their country and how it came and all that sort of stuff. It's kind of like a living museum that you guys go to. Not everyone goes to it. but And I saw, too, too in some of your national ceremonies, they bring out the people in the original costumes to do a parade uh, in Washington. That is close to what I'm talking about, but they're just costumes. You Because the symbols are already there. I'm not suggesting anything change in that regard, but I just mean what's the difference between something that's dead in a museum and costumes actors are wearing, it's bringing those things together. It's bringing the actual artifact, the thing that you look at, and that actually helps you open your mind and cast you back to what this means and what it meant for the people and what were their, their behaviors. It's like That's the original document that that guy's holding in its whatever, glass case, right? It's brought out. The sacred symbols are the real things or close enough to them. And there probably are places that, that, where that's done, but I think, There you have more or a greater generation of the things that are behind the propositions, right? I think also it's important to think about the creed itself. And again, the confusion that generates is thinking that is the sacred as the context and meanings change and separating that from a people and the ritual and the practices that make them up is that you can think that that is the... If that's everything the place is, you are going to be even further from discovering how it is to generate the narrative normative order that made the place possible. If you take the creed on its own, it's the propositions on its own. Without the context, right, you're going to very quickly be separated from the symbols, and the symbols will stop functioning. They will stop functioning in their ability for you to see into the past and see your life in a different way in relation to what it was, to actually understand what it, what it meant to declare independence. You take yourself even further away from understanding of yourself as a people, behavior you need, the rituals and practices you need to generate the environment that you want, that made it possible to even do that, that made it possible to even write it, right? To write the, to actually have the insight, and the moral impulsion to do it is removed. Without that, like that, that is what is required. The things that generated who they were. If you want the same insight, if you want the same instinct, if you want the same robust, um, practices and strength of character that it took to face down, right? A grand grand enemy and declare your moral impulsion of an American must always fight tyranny or an Englishman must always fight tyranny, right? To actually stand up against death like they did. Because that's we're facing problems. They're coming, right? Problems are coming. We need people like that. If you just take the propositions on their own, you'll de- de- decay because the practices that made them possible, the very practices that made them possible, the practices, the behaviors, the normative and narrative order is a thousand years old and it formed the men who did it. If you don't even touch those things and you separate the creed, where just a creed? That is the destruction right there because that's the thing that made it possible to even write the creed. Americans, what was their way of being? Right, what informed their way of acting in the world? That's what we're after. That's what we're after to go back to that that made it possible. How? What made Teddy Roosevelt possible? Right, the culture he was assimilated into from birth. Right, because he's born that. What's the po- what's that made that possible? It's not a blank slate when people come in. Right, it seems like a blank slate, as it's written in law, but. <laughs> The, the way people are behaving in that culture, right? That's what makes it possible to keep enacting the law. Why, why do you think we're in our current position where the law isn't actually properly being used, as being manipulated? Because the things that made us who we are, or the things that made you who you were, the practices, right? The are millennia long. They aren't being observed in as wide a circulation as they were. Also, because we're confused with these ideological positions of the creed. Where is the sacred, right? And, and that's the difference. Is that you have in America, it's problems, but at least, at least the crown is a living symbol, and it's wearing it, so it's still alive to look at and see it and wear it. That's the benefit of it. And that's more of what you need to go, no, no, no. And even not, you don't just need propositions of the people and what it is. You need to go and look and investigate and then start enacting them and make it lived again, what made them who they were. And some people are doing that. I'm not saying people don't get this. I'm not saying people aren't doing it, but it's just so important that we separate those two, we get rid of this confusion, this confusion. It's a people, it's a people, and that's nested deeply, deeply, deeply in how they behave, their practices formed over centuries, and you must allow it to be connected to the heritage, which took a thousand years to form. Because it's obvious, like when you break it down, if you draw a distinction, you are making a self-defeating objective. You're making a self-defeating mission before you even started. We must drop our cultural elitism because that is the truth as well. There's been this thing from, oh, this guy, he sounds like an Englishman, like me, whatever you go. What a wanker, what an elite is telling us what to. No, dude, when I went to America, I understood that you were my brothers. You were my brothers, right? On either side of the Atlantic, we need to understand that. That's, they are geo-positions of states, right? The culture runs across them from Australia to England to Canada. Not the French bit, but Canada. <laughs> it runs across borders, right? So just because one is from geo-England gives or America gives them no more uh, uh, authority to say, no, that's ours. You can't touch that. Say, oh, oh, we must do this. Or we are better than you. Or we understand the arcana more than you do. We understand the... The symbols more than you do. No, it's in the spirit of comradeship across this culture. We must uh, understand it together. Drop that. All the problems that we see can't be addressed at all. And even the subject of this video doesn't come from me thinking because I am from that culture. It's more because I investigated that I, I would say, ah, oh, I see what the problem is here. We must be able to accept that from the outside because often the person from the outside right, that's not in the the, the polis of the place, the politic of the place. They might see what's going on. And I do that all the time. I look at what do Frenchmen say about Englishmen, you know? What do Australians say about Englishmen? What do New Zealanders say about Englishmen? What do they say about Americans trying to find, okay, what is it that we share together? I've looked into those things, right, deeply. And what I've seen is the 90%, even 95%, that is beneath the iceberg. As Scalia said, right, the common culture is English. English speaking, as generated from the narrative and normative order. It's deeply in the practices and the rituals. And if you want to understand yourself, you need to understand your part in this wider story, in this wider culture. If What does it mean to be American? I've seen people say, like, OK, so let's analyze that question. What does it mean to be American? Right. And I saw someone, they, they, they were going into the propositions generated, by founding fathers or people of the time of what they thought, oh, what's an American? That's a what though, right, isn't it? Being, you have gotta look at the words, like be, what does it mean to be American? Ah, okay, being, that's a way, the American way, right? How we behave, the American way, not what Americans are saying they're doing, what they're actually doing, what their behaviors are doing, or what is that nested in? We have to look beyond the propositions themselves that are all the founding fathers. Yes, they can be clues, they can be clues, descriptions, but we only know so much of ourselves, right? 90% of the iceberg of our behaviors, we don't know where that stuff came from, it was inherited. And I would actually make the case that you definitely don't know, and that 90% is generated by the millennia of a culture that the Founding Fathers participated in, right, and the people that were there. And we want to be like those people. 90% of the iceberg below it is hidden from us, right? And that's what we need to investigate. That's like, what it is to be American is how Americans act, right? In what time were Americans acting most like Americans? I mean, there'll be clues in the military, for instance, right? Because these guys are people that are enacting practices that are related and go back all that way, like 300 years, right? Okay, those people enact the practices. They are going through rituals. They wear their sacred, sacred marine uniform, for instance. They have a good connection to... The feeling it is to be to, of what's sacred to them about their country because they fought to defend it. They have that participatory understanding that that someone who's been to the hinterland to defend whatever this thing is between. Okay, you've got a millennia of culture. I mean, it's your inheritance, right? This stuff is your inheritance. You don't. I'm not saying accept the monarch as your cultural heir, but you don't need need to do that. There is a whole narrative order aside from that. That uh, that uh, informs you of the practices that generated that ninety percent below the iceberg that made them who they are—the founding fathers and people like them—and down to Teddy Roosevelt, those things are nested in the heritage and tradition, going back to England. It's all connected to that. It's deeply nested in it. it, passed from father to son. So you need to look into that and take it as your own, as your own heritage. Right? There was a poem by an American, and he. Took, and he Joined, we are kinsfolk and joined by blood across, across the sea, never part us. We are the heirs of Runnymede and Shakespeare's verse and Cromwell's deed. And not, never earth shall part us. Right? A book called like a, an American's pilgrimage to England, right? That's not to go there to accept the monarch as your king. Or That's to go there to understand the things that informed who you are. What are the procedures, the practices, the, who are the greatest heroes that, from which the Magna Carta emerged. Right, because the constitution itself in America is a propositional description. Magna Carta itself was a propositional description of a situation. Light like emerges out of the narrative order, the normative order. Right, how it's structured, the structural-functional organization in which this stuff emerges from. You get to the proposition at the very end of the timeline. Right, so you've got all that stuff to investigate to help you inform. Use it. Use it. Right, and there will be people. And fair enough too. Is that they ask, they they will say, Oh, we want to draw a distinction, right? To draw a distinction between this is American and this is is English. I would just say to you, fine, do that. I understand the instinct. If you want to do it, I don't think it's necessary. Is that you can be that and still have the other stuff. If you do that purely and that's your motivation, don't be surprised when you do that and you end up a completely different person with different practices from who the founding fathers were. Don't be surprised. And then after that occurs, you might ask yourself, oh, was I so desperate for this to be its own original thing uh, and connected to nothing else that I actually made it impossible to be the people that I admired? The founding fathers, right? It's impossible to be like them in my desperation to draw a distinction. Resource a heritage that is as much yours as it is in any geo England, geo Australia, geo New Zealand, geo Canada, the actual cultural emergence is your—I would say—destiny is your destiny, but it is also your it's your heritage as well, because emergence is not the sum of its parts. Like even if you saw it as a new phenomena, right in American phen- phenomena, you still need the parts of the sum. If you you're just baseless without all of it, right? You need the rich anchor and history that generated the eventual behavior, like the behavior, right? Again, back to that question, what is it to be American? You better understand what made those Americans that you admire and cherish. What was their being? What grounded their behaviors, right? Where did they come from? Like you see with communist revolutions, if you deny all that, trying to draw a new distinction, a cultural revolution, you can't avoid it. You can't avoid it. Look at China. Even they go back to their They've realized, oh shit, we have to go back to this Taoism or whatever. We have to go back to and look and use that. It's like they, they murdered 100 million people trying to create a cultural revolution. Then you realize, well, there's nothing there. There's nothing left. You kill everyone. And then you actually just return to tribal, tribal. You've got propositions, but they'll just be shat on and destroyed anyway. I mean, age is a problem. Like 300 years, it's not a great deal of time, right? Globalism is a big problem we face as well. That's outside of it actually being the 90% that makes you who you are, and it is. But outside of that, like globalism, like everything's spreading, you can't avoid it. You don't have time for a culture to generate on its own, to draw its own distinction, because you're assaulted by guns on all sides, unless you want to be Amish, and you're free to do that. Cut off technology. If you think it's inevitable and you're, you're going to use technology, you can't be Amish, right? You have the English language, and you can't escape that. I mean, the Japanese do a decent job with understanding, okay, like, what's the distinction? How do we sort it? They've got the language barrier that protects them in a way, and they can use that. But we co- you can't do that. We can't do that. Our destinies are down the same road. Our destinies are aligned, um, and we need to understand that and work together to address the problems, to, to investigate what it is to be American. What it is to be English, what it is to live a way of life connected to the moral continuity. What's the utility of doing that? What's actually the categorization of doing that? Like how do we categorize that stuff and use it, but in an accurate way so we know we're getting the practices that made us who we were, our greatest champions, who they were? That's what we want, isn't it? How do we be like our greatest heroes and our greatest champions? Everyone can have the practices that led to it, and they'll do different things, but the practices that led to the impulsions and the courage and the ingenuity and the genius, they can have that. Everyone can be a part of that stuff. Don't, everyone doesn't have to do that, and it can be, because there's this thing called acceptation, right? Acceptation is functions, right? You have multiple functions, those things are grabbed and put together and used for another use. And you've got these mighty, these mighty functions from these mighty practices. Virtue engine in the narrative and normative order of the English-speaking people in America with that virtue engine accepted for other uses that might not be what that particular hero did, the power that is at your hands. So hopefully the individuals that do that sort of thing, that investigate the sacred, that investigate the ritual, that find the practices, that'll give them utility as well. That will make them more competitive. Obviously, yes, you have an individual. You have aspiration, that's part of it. We experience life as individuals, but we experience it. Uh, It's nothing without the unit of communitas, with that unit of the borough. This idea, like the robust um, individual, you'd get none of this done on your own because these practices I'm talking about that you'll get from this culture, they require other people. They require a community. Right, so You have to be a part of to enact them, to be like the Founding Fathers. They were part of their own little local borough who reawaken the sense of being, the sense of the way, the actual true American way as it's connected to how those Founding Fathers behaved. That's what you're after, right? Because on their own, they're just abstractions. Really think about that, right? The, the, the creed on its own is not even uh, 1% of, of what generates why people follow the actual laws, and you can even see that in the people in the state now, is that, okay, they know what the spirit of the law says, and they just go, So, (laughs) prosecute them. Find another way to to silence their speech, right? Find another way to prosecute them and throw them in jail because I don't like what they say. So, it's not inherent in the words themselves. That's the danger of saying rights are just these abstractions, <laughs> because then you go, okay, well, that's all we need on their own. We just need the propositions, right? We just need the propositions. Then people will go, ah, we won't we won't do anything against people's freedom of speech, because the propositions say it. No. Think about it. It's just written on a page. If you write and tell it's just written on a page that says do this, if we all rise up and, not rise up, if we all just don't do this, they can't enforce it, yet we do. So what was it? What was it or what is it that enforces us Beyond, in, in terms of like paying taxes, because if we all just stopped, right, what is it? It's more than just the propositions. It's the things that informed who they were and who we are, right? And we've decayed far from that. So that's why you see things starting to split up. Creed itself requires the whole culture under it to make it useful, for it to function, right? The propositions become useless as that decays, So you might say, oh, well, okay, the reason why people obey the law is because they're from fear over time. Well, no, not really. Because there's so many things that we wouldn't do that you wouldn't be punished for like that. You know, there's so many things you could not obey that you wouldn't be punished for. But I'm just saying it's all beneath the surface, those things. So make sure that returns and then the creed will become useful again or the creed uh, becomes viable. Think about it. You tried your creed. You go to, uh, oh, okay, let's take, oh, sorry, but take this creed to Afghanistan or Iraq or whatever. It's like, well, that worked really well, right? Because they don't have the, the 99% under the iceberg floating in the ocean that you do, right? And it would take you a century and not allowing the king. Oh, God. It's like they had a king. He was still alive, like you, you bring him back because he's connected to their culture. Then maybe you have a chance. But that's just, you go to Europe and bring the creed in. All right, well, they have a lot of the stuff, a lot of the pieces that make that creed possible. But even then, you see it like on Europe, the European Union, it creeps in again. The eternal German creeps in. But that's just more evidence that the creed, a creed does not a people make. A creed does not a nation make. Second, they're enforcing guns that might force people to follow them are gone, the whole thing falls apart. So when it all goes to shit, and the people with the guns that kept you in line are gone, following the propositions they said you had to, when all that goes in a rich culture, something that is has its practices, it's living symbols that has its way, things go on as they go on, right? Because the moral impulsions are there. That's what governs people, and. And how they act. Without that, a nation's nothing, right? If America is just a creed, as soon as the gun goes, the whole thing dissolves. As soon as the gun goes, it's Afghanistan. It's not a nation at all, and never was. That's obviously not true. We do need to look at okay, where are all these symbols? What made them dead? Uh, what is the what did they used to use them with? To fall that actually keeps them alive like you might say the most sacred thing in america is the constitution the, the paper right the declaration of independent documents right what's the difference between that and a living symbol as you have in the monarch right the national personification of uh, the king in and the sacred symbols and the vestments that he wears or she wears um, and the difference between those two things and how that, that actually can help enlighten us to what the sacredness is in america okay why is it important that it be living, though, right? Why does it have to be this person, a hereditary? You go, propositionally, you say it doesn't make sense that it even works to have that representative there. Why not just get rid of it, right? It all seems to function anyway, doesn't it? It all seems to function. If it was just on the page and that occurred in a museum, you could avoid it, couldn't you? It'd just be dead. You'd not go to the symbol. And if you went there, you wouldn't see it in the same way. But because you have a living symbol with a person there, constantly have yearly practices during there's a whole calendar, right of enacted practices, enacted analogies, at least for them and all the people that participate in the rituals and the people that watch them and turn up, that schedule that goes round and round, right they are you can't turn away from that. So even if you're infected with ideology and these symbols mean nothing to you or you don't see them in that way because of the education system or whatnot. That is always there as a living thing, as an option for it to be reawakened. The function of the symbol, the, the connecting ritual, gives uh, clues to how the symbol works itself. Right? Parliament, the state crown is worn, and the jubilee, the vestments are worn again. And so again, that they are clues to how the symbols work, what they do, when they're used. Because when you say you go to look at the crown jewels, right, they have these two Travelators on either side of them, which is actually a mistake. And it looks like it's a museum, but the difference here between those vestments, say, and um, a museum piece of like Washington's hat or this or Washington's star flag is they sit in a museum. That's all they ever do. Whereas when you go look at the crown jewels, they are to be used in the future, again and again and again. Right? So here are the sacred symbols to look at. They're going to be used again for this purpose. You see. As it's connected, it's like a living thing. But even as we all participate in the ceremonies that occur during the year, we're constantly seeing the symbol in use. When they visit places, they wear the sacred vestments, right? And they can visit places as the living symbol. That place going to Scotland, going to Wales, Prince of Wales goes to Wales, goes to Wales to be anointed as the Prince of Wales, right? Living, that happens again and again and again. The arena the symbols are placed in are as important. Like the arena is a big part of meaning and how it's generated. You look at Viveki's work and he'll, he shows that. You have a living symbol. It can go out to places and demonstrate what it means, right? Oh, okay, the monarch's here, right? It's constantly informing. It's alive. They should do that more, right? They should think about how we cultivate the things that have emerged with new ceremonies, with new rituals, and new ways. And you see a human and the human wearing it is, okay, this relates to a human. If you have a person wearing them, what better way to see it as it relates to you? Obviously, the sacred vestments and the crown itself, like it's above the human wearing it. But having that as the medium between that those worlds allows it to be taken places and allows it to be constantly demonstrated. Like Think about it in the Christian sense, it's why they say that like, Christ is also flesh. Remember, Christ is also flesh, right? Body, 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 enacted, enacted, right? Keeping your understanding of that same sort of thing right with the sovereign I just mean I don't I'm not not being blasphemous here anyway like I don't mean to be blasphemous or anything I just mean the sovereign in the sense the reason why it's important is so you're remembering that it's real. if it's sitting in a place it's just in the propositional sphere in you know it just it's like a thing that's just in the mind right which is what the romantics got wrong is that these things need to be enacted as in its ability to go to places and enact stuff. And to be taken places and used, that's how it's realized and made real. Again, like being at those sacred ceremonies, when you feel that awe, everyone is silent, like Remembrance Day, right? Lest we forget. When you're there is when you understand what it means. Seeing it on TV, no. But Actually being at the ceremony where you have a role to play and being silent for a minute, that actually awakens a sense of awe, even in a small way. You get it, right? And that's why we have an emotional response to it, because we actually enacted it. Enacted and participated in it. And that's the part we've forgotten in our arrogance, our Cartesian arrogance. Our, we've lost our connection to the rituals of it, the enactedness. And we're, We stare at our screens. We think, oh, that's life. But you, And then you go, why is my life so unmeaning, like, horrible? Um, well, there's stuff out there that you can participate in. And the more we reinforce that and go back to what we were doing, the more we emerge from our maladies, from our conflicts and troubles of the clash of propositions and the clash of ideology. Like a comparison might be there is think about the American, I can't remember what it's called, but the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. There's always two Marines or four Marines there 24 hours a day, right? And they demand when you come to participate to look at it, you're, you participate in the sense if you talk, you're shut up. There's silence there, right? And that is constantly a lived tradition where it's establishing the value of the thing too, right? It's the value of what's going on. Obviously, the most powerful understanding that you, that you would see is in the enacted analogy that the Marines themselves are going through. Right, because they are truly participating. Like we, if we go there in person, that really matters. To go in person, you do participate because you have to be quiet, right? That requires your participation, and you do get a sense of hmm. There's a there is a not an awakened awe. There's an awe established by that, is that we all have to be quiet here, and everyone else is being quiet as well, right? And you see the same thing. There there are ceremonies in Britain of the same nature, and they're living ceremonies, and they awaken you as to an understanding of that sacredness, right? So when you ask the question, you might say, oh, I go, what's American sacred? What's sacred in America? The Constitution, the this, the that. Okay, that's a category, right? We should think about sacredness. So when you want to think about what generates the the sacredness of it, right? The awe, the wonder, right? Or just below that, that sense of there's something important here is super salient, that I can't quite put my finger on. I'm getting a perspectival understanding here, more than just the propositional description of, oh, it, it's sacred there, or that's sacred. No, it's when you're in its presence, and it's felt, right? It's felt because there's a connection to how the people are acting around you when you're actually there. That's sacredness, and that's what we really are looking for, right? So for the symbols to retain their ability to generate sacredness the experience of sacredness of of the appropriate value and understanding as they relate to us as our sovereignty itself it has to be enacted as part of a practice on its own it requires too much of of an individual person to go and approach it to understand it to analyze to think about it in those terms it needs that inhabited um it needs an arena to be in I guess, feeling is a good way of talking about it. So when it's enacted, you, the person wearing the crown is a living person enacting the rituals. The Grenadier guards are real enacting the rituals every year in all the ceremonies, wearing their vestments, their sacred vestments of the breastplates, right? They're wearing all those things, enacting those rituals. I feel loyalty, feel loyalty to that person as a personification of, as a locus of that thing. So it's, Connecting on things unconsciously as well, like things that are implicit, but as part of like a participatory understanding. And if I go to the actual ceremony, which is essentially to actually go in person, I'll have that feeling that based on the people that are around me, the community around me, to have people involved, to have um, the ritual. Can only A ritual can only be enacted by people. Have someone use Washington's actual sacred artifact and bring that there and do that, go there with it whatever happens, right? Rather than just costume people, actually use it. Investigate perhaps when it was used, if it, that stopped happening. Um, learn from places that do still have a lived tradition. If you want to keep the sacredness and perspectival understanding alive and also look at the original things and, and okay, here's what, here is a, here is a metaphor in it, the original document that's beyond the propositional and what's written there that actually helps me perspectively experience sacredness when I go to this thing in the museum piece. Like, what? How could it be used as part of a ritual, as part of a, a doing, or even your personal ritual in terms of how you look at it? That's a kind of practice that monks used to do, is they'd read the Word of God. They'd consider it as a community. They'd look at the symbols right, and open themselves up how that changes their understanding. That was a practice, right? They'd meditate on the Word in monasteries. The same thing can be done to and used of, um, of these symbols in America by taking the propositional dry law away from it, the creedal element, and just say, okay, what do we glean from this as a symbol? And the paper looks, how the handwriting looks, how does it open us up to the world these people lived in, in terms of, and also in terms of my life, how, uh, how does that change my understanding of where we come from and what it means to be who we are? used to do when we read as readers a community, you might do that with American artifacts and consider visual ones, right? As well as bring them out in a ceremony. But you want to participate in it as well, right? And not as a literalness, as a understanding them as symbols and contemplation, of very real things that realize a way, that realize and help us realize a way of being. And that's one way of investigating it by looking at the symbols in that monastic way, and the reading of things, all the stories of those heroes, and reading them, and thinking about them, and meditating on them, and, and the words themselves, and that's enacted. An you're enacting it. You're reading it it's in your mouth, right? To just read it on the page and have it received, that's no. That's that's no. You have to participate in 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 it to actually it be a living thing. That is essentially all I really have to say on it for now in this one video. But I think Americans can get an idea of what those practices might be on this Greenwood project that is open source now. And if you participate on the locals, you'll get as much out of it. Then, In fact, it's crucial that you see these practices and what makes us who we are as a culture, the fundamentals, the, what made the narrative order, what it was, what are all the participatory elements. That's what this project is about. Understanding that and things we did and do are patterns of behavior, and the things that form it, the things they're nested in that we can investigate and find them in. So I hope you uh, uh, join the locals and I hope you uh, participate. In it. And I look forward to seeing you there. And I'll just say as a final thing is to dare greatly to believe.